Well, hello, readers, <laughs> and welcome to the next episode of Shared Pages, our podcast where I, Ronnie, and Ian talk about uh, books that we've chosen. Uh, this is kind of like our couples reading podcast that we've been doing, and uh, we're very excited for this episode because we have a very special, I think, book called The Wall by Sarah Jane Singer. And now um, we know Sarah, or at least I have met Sarah. Ian knows it through association. Yeah, kind of, like um, through Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So we were very excited. This is her first book. And when we saw that she was publishing it and we really wanted to read it. So uh, we decided to do it for our February book. And we're very excited to be discussing it today, kind of talking a little bit about it. And I think you guys will like it, too. If you haven't read it already, I recommend it. It's pretty short. It's 190-ish pages. Um, fantasy kind of based. Um, sorry, we put a cat tree behind us and it's working. And Ian said it wouldn't. They're standing on it. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, we so we read The Wall this um, this month. And I think before we go into anything, I will just give, like, a little spoiler alert. We don't usually do this because I feel like the books that we've read have typically been out for a few years already. So if you, like, hadn't read it by that point, you know, it's on you, <laughs> kind of. If it didn't make it into your reading list and you decided to listen to this before reading it. But since this one just came out this month, February 2022, um, I will just give a little spoiler alert that we are going to talk about spoilers in the book. So if you want to read it, um, maybe don't listen to this first. Go read it really quick and then come back here and <laughs> give us a listen um, and join in our discussion. Um, there is one aspect that we are definitely going to keep as a secret. The main character, Julia, she is not who she says she is. And we're going to we're not going to spoil that uh, name reveal, basically, um, for the book. So just as an FYI for the listeners. Uh, but if you read the book, you know. You're in on it with us. <laughs> um, okay. So, first, let's just talk about, like, I do want to talk about the cover before we dive into I, it. Because I love the cover I was of this going book. To say, so, the book is self-published through Light Source, which is a subs subsidiary of Ingram Sparks, I believe. Um, And, you know, I work in a bookstore. And when people self-publish... They skimp on usually one of three things. Mm. Cover design, mm -hmm. editing, mm -hmm. or um, like marketing. Mm. You know, because those are all things that publishers, like traditional publishers, cover for they do you. do for you, right. With yeah. your input normally, but it helps a lot that mm -hmm. you don't have to pay for it. And I will, I, this is a thing we usually talk about at work, but like covers, I think most often sell the book more so than word of mouth or... Or even the summary yeah. of the book. Like, I feel like nine times out of ten, I'm looking at the cover to mm -hmm. make a determination because I feel like I do a vibe check, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's the saying, right? Don't judge a book by its cover, but I do. I judge them by the cover. How else are you supposed to judge them? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, like, this, like, definitely, like, the cover is not one that was, like, thought, like an afterthought. Like, you know, when we were, I was showing people at work, they were like, this doesn't look like a self-published book cover. Because some of the books that are even, like, blowing up via, like, book talk that mm -hmm. have self-published and they're big, like, they're selling thousands of copies, the covers are bad. <laughs> but that's not the case for this yeah. one. That's not the case for The Wall. Um, and I just, like, I'll, we'll just talk about it really quick. I love the colors in it. They all complement each other very nicely. There are little elements in it. That are, if you read it, there's aspects of what's inside of the book that are on the cover, but, like, you don't necessarily need to, like, um, like, solve the riddle of the cover when you're looking at it. You can just enjoy it for being aesthetically pleasing, but once you've read the book, you can go back and look at and it. And it doesn't have a book jacket, which for me makes everything a hundred times better. You I don't like book jackets? book jackets. <laughs> um, the only kinds of book jackets I do like are the ones where, like, this is a, that's a paperback, you know, and the cover is obviously connected to the spine, but they put a flap on the inside of it with, mm -hmm. like, the book 
description, like a normal book jacket, but the whole jacket is connected to the book itself. Mm. That's, like, the only time I really like book jackets. Ah, I gotcha. So, like, yeah, I just, the cover's really solid. Yeah, we like the cover. You obviously have Julia and Zav on there, her lion. You got the bow for Eden. You got the the two oh, swords, swords or daggers. I'm not sure, she, but they, yeah. I'm assuming they're her daggers and like all these little elements that are just kind of on they, it. They give her this is giving them. They give her dirks. Well, I don't think they ever call them that, but they're like two crystal daggers, basically, okay. which I think is really cool. Honestly, my one my last D and D character had a crystal dagger. I'm all for that. I mean, I think the hilts were just crystal in this book, but, like, I had a lot of crystal ones. I just love the idea of, like, a weapon made with, mm-hmm. or incorporating crystals in some way. Um, but we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. But anyway, so, yeah, the cover, beautiful. I love it. Um, we don't need to talk about it too much more, but... The one thing I do want to say is, small world, remember we... So, some of the people who watch us on our Twitch channel who we've never met went to school with Sarah, remember? Yeah. And we were like, what? <laughs> yeah, apparently some of the people we know through Twitch um, went to the same school. Um, also, I will just give a shout out really quick that the cover uh, is by Lena Yang. Um, so if you want to look her up, look up some of her art stuff, um, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's dive in. Okay, yeah, let's dive in. Okay, so I'm just gonna kind of give a, a basic overview, but we're gonna we're gonna do less structured than last time because I feel like that didn't work out as well as I thought it was going to. So I'm gonna give a basic overview, but we'll jump in and kind of like uh, just discuss uh, literary elements of it as we go and that kind of thing. Um, so obviously, the beginning of the book starts with the wall, which is what the book is named for. Um, which was built by Julia's father, the main character. And it was built on the day that Julia was born, or it started to be built on the day it was born. Um, and it stood for the whole her whole life. She's lived within this wall. She's never left. Um, very sheltered life, obviously. Um, and I loved early on, I, I definitely um, shared this on the, the Twitter, but there was a quote about how uh, she also obviously has a mother as well, and she like describes that her mother was like the wall, strong and silent, and yeah. And I don't know if the wall that made me think like is the wall the wall or is the wall her mother? You know, yeah, which is a good question. Um, but I think one of the really strong things early on in the book to uh show the passage of time is that like you know. They will say things like, this was happening in the wall. Alright, so, <laughs> the cats decided to get in a fight in the crinkle tunnel directly behind us. So, um. <laughs> we cut out a little bit, and we're gonna double back and finish what we were talking about. Alright, so what I was talking about is how the uh, wall early on is used really interestingly to show the passage of time. You know... They will be des- describing some event happening with her family within the wall. And they will say, like, we were doing this. The wall looked like this. Mm-hmm. So you know that time has changed because the wall is either, like, clean or vines are growing on it. Vines are no longer growing on it. You know some time has passed. It's a cool way of showing the passage of time without being, like, you know, five days later. Two months later, yeah. insert Spongebob meme here. And it was, uh, and it was, I mean, I felt it was, like, obviously, like, the author's intent that, like, they didn't want to spend too much time on the first 18 years because the story was not happening until after that. So it was a good way to kind of, like, quickly get through that without it feeling like... Well, that's an interesting statement because, like, you know, 18, the story was not happening then. But, you know... We won't spoil it, but the actual plot of the story was happening then. Was happening. <laughs> but, you know, you don't... Not all so- stories don't always start at the beginning. Right, right. Just interesting. Yeah. Tangent. <laughs> um, yeah, so Julia, she lives her life for 18 years within the wall. Um, and then her father leaves for some kind of merchant mission. Like, he's requested by the lords for his, like, he's, like, a well-renowned merchant, and he's been called to, like, service, essentially. Um, And while he's gone, Julia's like, is this my chance? 
is this where I, this is where I leave? Um, and she goes and actually sees her mother because she has a dream. Before you go on, I don't think we ever said that they she has not left the wall. She's never left the wall. Yeah. Ever. I might have mentioned that. I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah, she's never she left the wall. In her 18 whole years life. of life, she has not left the wall. And the one thing I wanted to ask you about the wall is how do you picture it? Is it like a keep or is it like Great Wall of China tall? I, I imagined it more like a keep. I imagined it like a keep, but like in a, like, you know, like fairy tale style, like the walls are so high, you're like, yeah. what the hell? No, I imagined it like a keep, and I honestly was surprised that, like, it didn't, to me, I don't know, maybe it was, her character didn't feel more stir-crazy, because I feel like if you had lived in a keep your whole life, you would know every inch of that place, yeah. like, inside and out, you know, well, not out. Yeah. <laughs> You know. But that was something I started to think about while we were talking about this. I was like, I thought it was like, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk style, like, tall walls. Well, because then it's described early on that, like, the ivy can't even grow up, like, ha- or it gets to, like, halfway, but then she has an accident and then they cut it down. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just that tall that it, like, didn't ever reach the top, you know? Yeah, yeah. But anyways, her father goes off on, like, a merchant marine mission for the government, and... She sees this as her chance to finally go outside. There are a lot of instances in the book, I'll just preface this before we get too far too, where Julia has a lot of dreams about things, and I think those sequences are really cool and important to the book, but in this overview, I'm not going to talk about them too much, because also I feel like they're, like, if you're going to read the book, those are, like, the good parts for reading too, so I don't really want to spoil them. But she does have a dream before this as well, kind of telling her to leave. And then she goes and talks to her mother, who's been ill, like, her whole life. And she, her mom doesn't talk that much, but she kind of gives her this glass vial that glows with a blue-white light and then just tells her to go. So, so yeah, her mom tells her to leave in a very scary way. She's like, go, like, run away. Um, and so Julia goes and she takes her lion, Zav, with her trusty companion. I imagine Zav as less of, like, a regular beast and more of, like, a Disney companion, where he's he has, like, expre- expressive moments, you know, where it's more like the horse from Mulan type of thing, you know? <laughs> I, well, that's why I, I think animals have different abilities to smile, and some animals who can smile are terrifying, right? Like, a lion smiling at you, would that be scary? But, like, dogs and I think, like, bigger cats have more expressive faces. I mean, they're cute and they purr. Yeah, so, cute. like, like I think, I imagine it as, like, a wild animal that she is, like, look at my cute best friend. And everyone else is, like, what the That's hell? a lion. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is the people in this world don't see the lion as that strange, because it's kind of, like, it seems like exotic pets like that are not unusual. In, like, the in major cities. And this is a definitely a high fantasy, high magic world. So there's, like, a lot of stuff like that, you know? Yeah, in the major cities, there are, like, wild animals everywhere. And, in fact, she's, like, targeted because she has one. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we can sell that. <laughs> so she runs away. There is a part in the beginning where she travels through the forest around the wall, and she's attacked by what she's told is a witch by these peasants that she encounters that live on the edge of the wood. Um... And basically, it's more dream sequence. There, there's lots of um, descriptors of like, I I should have looked this up before we started. Crow or raven? I think it's important which bird it is, but uh, I think it's a raven. I do think it's a raven. Um, yeah. a specific type of bird that she keeps seeing when she has these encounters. That's kind of like chasing her, um, and cawing, and um. That that happens while she's in this wood, so it kind of scares her a little bit, but she keeps going. She keeps pressing on. And she also kind of gets this sense that once she's left, that her mother has passed. It's a raven. It's a raven. Okay, good. There we go. Um, but then she eventually does make her way out, a little bit shaken, but strong, and she makes her way to her first large city, which I don't think it ever is named. If it that, is, I don't remember. That's what, this was a question I had. Was they talk about different cities, and some of them have names, like Bahir. Mm-hmm. But is Bahir a country inside the city of Bahir? Or is Bahir a city inside the country? 
Is it one big country? Is it a bunch of small countries near each other? I thought Bahir was the cap, like the capital the city, city of, of that, that region. Country is, but I maybe I'm misremembering. Like, so. I, like this is the question. It's like I had a little difficulty determining where this is why. Uh, uh, I I thought for a second I almost wanted to attempt to make a map of this, like to go and back and double check. I just didn't have time. There's a lot of stuff going on this month. But I almost wanted to try and make a map so that I could, like, orient myself, like, okay, here's where the wall is, and here's where, you know... But what I will say is that the narrative style of the story is more like a fairy story, where, like, you're like, we're gonna go here, and we're gonna go here, and events are gonna happen here, and it kind of moves at the speed of plot, as opposed to, like, we know Bahir is two weeks away by foot, and we're gonna get every single step they took. Right, um, right. No, it definitely had, I think you said it too, it definitely had to me more like Barry Giant vibes, vibes yeah. like from, um... Kazuro Ishiguro. Yeah, and like where it's, more the, the story and the characters is kind of more important than being very exact about like, oh, Whereas, this location's here, and like this is, uh, you know... As opposed <laughs> to like a Lord of the Rings style story where you know they're like, it takes us two months to walk from the Shire to... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, it just, you know, you just need to know that, like, this place is important, and they made it there. Mm-hmm. Um, so she makes her way to the city, immediately finds herself in trouble. Yeah. Immediately, just, just, the, just think of the, it's, like, was the kind of tropey, but, you know, isolated it, girl. It's Rapunzel. Gets to the big city, and she's, like, she doesn't know what to do. She's, like, people are bad. And yeah, they, Rapunzel leaving the tower. For yeah, the Rapunzel first time leaving the tower type thing, and then she she kind of runs into her Flynn Rider essentially. Yeah. if we want to keep going with the analogy, uh, but she meets Eaton, who saves her. I think that's how you would pronounce that name, Eaton. I read it Etienne. Oh, Etienne! Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, E Y T A N. So, uh, everybody, let us know what you're. Yeah. This is the fun part about books is like when there's uh, no official pronunciation yet. Um. I'm going to call him Eaton because that's what I called him in my head the whole time. So, um, but he helps her. And honestly, like, she's a little mistrustful of him, which she should be after that first experience she has where she essentially almost gets taken as a slave, I think, because they want her lion and they're just like, we'll take you too. Um, and Eaton saves her. And I, this is how I feel about Eaton. He is the... The most perfect, pure man in existence. Did you also feel this way about him? Yes and no, because, like, I think he, he has flaws. But his flaws are, like, that he is... He lies by omission, and he's, like, honest about that, which is a weird kind of statement, right? Right. Like, he is like, you know, I'm not gonna tell you this thing, but I will in the future. But then he just doesn't tell you tell her until he absolutely has to. And a lot of times that kind of gets her into trouble. Yeah, I guess so. And I mean, they do have moments where they, like, fight. But I will also just say Eaton is, like, the main love interest, essentially, in this book. Um, But he saves her and essentially also, I like, I would find it definitely suspicious that he saves her. And he's like, let me pay for everything. Just starts throwing money around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, he's obviously and incredibly like, wealthy. At he's that obviously point. incredibly wealthy, and he's like, "Where do you want to go? I'll take you anywhere." Um, and I love the descriptions of like when he just is talking about all these different locations, and it definitely made me be like, "Oh, I hope they go there." You know, like the mountains with the snow horses, and like the they like they talk about all that stuff, and and this is when he says like I want to show you this, I want to show you this, I want to show you this is where I got the Narnia vibes mm. because like the Narnia is like when the animals are just kind of always like oh you know that's near Caraparavel and then you're like I wonder where that is and later what they is go that? over there yeah you know? yeah yeah um so that and then also like reading those location names and descriptions made me very excited and hopeful that they would go there. I think they do go to all the places that he I names. think they do. Um and it you know made me look forward to seeing all of those um kind of described and written out. Um so anyway, they they spent some time there. Julia's still having horrible she started starts having horrible nightmares. Similar to the experience she had in the wood with the witch. And she kind of doubts herself. She tries to go back once and has this kind of weird vision 
of being surrounded by a forest, even though she wasn't in the forest before, which now having read the whole book kind of makes sense. Yeah. And it kind of freaks her out. And she's like, I don't even know if I can go back. And then she turns around and is like, I hope Eaton's still there. And he is. He's waiting for her uh, to come back. Um, and so basically they begin like their journeys together. And like, she knows she wants to find this boy from her past who came to the wall when she was 14, I think. And she didn't talk to him at all. But she saw him when he rode in. He rode in on a lion, and he was wounded, and her father took care of him and then sent him on his way. And then, I guess as repayment, this boy sent a lion cub to her, and that's how she got Zav in the first place. So Julia knows she has to leave the wall. She doesn't really know where it's, she wants to go, but she's like, I guess I'll look for this guy. a very interesting like character trait that she's like, I saw this boy once. In my I life. Boy, one time, I he did not talk to him at all. Goddamn lion, and I'm gonna find him. <laughs> I'm gonna find this but guy. But I guess, like, she has no other, like, if she She leaves, has no other outside contact. Like, where is she gonna go? She's yeah. just gonna walk around the country She for just a while. knows she wants to leave. She doesn't really have a direction, but this is definitely the type of story where it's like, the journey is almost more important than the destination. Like, she just knows yeah. she wants to leave. Maybe the friends we made with and, lions along the way. You know, it's kind of what... <laughs> exactly, the lions. Uh, it's kind of one of those things where... The reason for why she's leaving or what she's looking for is less important, but they she still feels like she has to have a reason. So she's like, I guess I'm looking for this lion boy. Um, and so they go on like some adventures. They go to the, the horse mountain and then they kind of walk through. They encounter this group of refugees, which I went back and looked at the um, section today because I was like, oh yeah, the refugees. And I, they're fleeing from some kind of dark magic. But you never get more information. You don't get more information on it, but like when I was, I forgot about them, but then when I was like planning this episode out and like going back and looking at the moments, I was like, is that also the witch that cursed her? Or are there multiple witches? Or are there, like, I, I, when I first read it, I thought that they were related because it seemed like the symptoms they had experienced were similar to what Julia was going through. But we don't know. They never went back to it, and it's one of the things I'm curious about now. I'm like, wait a second, those refugees, like, what... Was that just a way to like show that dark magic happens in all areas of this world, or...? I think good world building. Because, okay, you're in this world, you're getting... It's an interesting device... Because you know as much about the world as Julia does. Right. We only know what she sees or what she's been told. Mm-hmm. So that's how we're learning about the world. And we're like, we know that some dark magic thing happened over here. It's not necessarily important to the story at this moment. But you could later revisit this world and explore that if you wanted to. So it it, it not only makes the world more interesting, it gives the author... Uh, an in to write more in this universe. Right. Because not everything has to be explained, like Tom Bombadil or stuff like that. Right, exactly. Yeah, there can be some mystery which does add a layer of, of depth to the mm. world. Um. So yeah, they encounter these refugees and they're very good-hearted people, so obviously they help them and it kind of sidetracks them a little bit from their quest of finding Lion Boy. And they end up going to talk to this group of bandits that Eaton knows. Um, And they're definitely very, like, Robin Hood vibes you get from these guys, like, steal from the rich, give to the poor kind of one. So they, like, they're like, let's go to these bandits and they'll help these refugees build a new village, essentially. And I don't know, I don't want to say the most important part, but I feel like the this bandit group was put in here because, and... I was excited about this. This the main character is bisexual, and you meet the leader of the bandits, who's named Ren Farley. I imagine like a beautiful Scottish brogue. She's described as having like full red hair, kind of Merida vibes from Brave type thing, you know. Um, Ren Farley is the leader of the bandits, and Julia like definitely has feelings for her, but I do wish like. I do feel like her character was just kind of put in there 
Yeah. To be to kind of like show that Julia is bisexual. I don't know that her character has much importance beyond that. She talks and, with Etienne, but we don't know really about what. Yeah, she talks to Eaton. It's funny because we're both saying his name differently. Who will be? Who will win? <laughs> who will re- get, have the right pronunciation? Uh, we know the author, so we can ask her after this. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but she's friends with Eaton, and he seems to go to her for counsel as like. He knows he can confide in her type thing. So I guess she's important in that aspect as well. But she really is only, like, really shown in this section. So my problem isn't even necessarily, like, like, it's fine. You know, like, you want representation, which is cool. But there are two characters who are bi in this book. And we haven't gotten to one of them yet. Mm -hmm. But both of them end up with men. Yeah. And, well, and I, (laughs) and like I said, I do understand as a bisexual woman myself who is in a straight passing relationship with a man, I mean, I understand, right? Like, we end up with dudes. It happens. Um, but part of me really was just hoping for some of that lady bromance, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, because I, I saw, like, a lot of, like, uh, interviews and stuff, and they talk about it being, like, LGBT book, which it is. But then I was like, oh, man, they both ended up with the guy. Man, they both ended up with dudes! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like that. I will say <laughs> one is way more complex. Yeah, definitely one is way more complex. But anyway, so Ren, they meet Ren. Ren shows Julia a little bit of, uh, well, she shows her a little bit how to shoot a bow, um, which we'd seen Eaton use before. And they kind of, each encounter that Julia has with people are teaching her things that she didn't learn when she was inside of the wall. So it's like, her growing as a person with each, like, adventure that they have. <laughs> I do feel like every person she meets is like, this person has no survival skills at all. I must equip her <laughs> with something. I must give pass on some knowledge to her so she doesn't die. Yeah. Although she's with Eaton, and he's very capable, so. Um, uh, so they spend some time there, and then they leave. And then I did just put in here briefly uh, the Temple of Song, because I thought it was a really cool location. I th- These people are living, like, what my... You know, I think it's hard for us as modern humans to be like, I'm going to go live somewhere without electricity, but mm-hmm. it's going to be wondrous. Mm-hmm. They're living, like, my dream life. They're up in this, like, majestic temple, is, yeah, singing songs, writing stories. Just like, It sounds great, honestly. And, it, like, the temple, the way it's described is beautiful. Like... Mm-hmm. I I think the Temple of Sog, if I could choose one location to go to from yeah. this book, I would go there. <laughs> like, it's like between that or the um, ruins we're about to talk to. Can you scroll? I do have a quote. Um, if we go down, I have a quote that I took from the, the Temple of Song. Because I wish they had talked a little bit more about this, honestly. Like what the monks do there, kind yeah. of thing. But they, I, I, I put this quote in here about when they are like meditating and doing mm-hmm. the singing. Um, so it says, and then I heard it. First, it was soft and low. I thought perhaps it was the wind, but then it grew louder and richer. Soon, another sound joined the first one, then another, then another, and finally, there seemed to be a hundred different notes. They wove in and out of a melody so complex I could barely follow it. Follow it, and I realized that I was humming along with the monks. So what I took out of this is, you know, like when you are laying outside and you're like in like laying in like a field or something, and you can like first you hear like like birds and mm-hmm. insects, and then you pick up on like the wind, and you hear like trees. Yeah. Creaking. And I was like, each of these people are like singing a different. Sound yeah. of nature. And I almost imagine it like each person has almost like their own kind of resonance, you know? Yeah. And like you didn't hear it at first. You have to kind of enter this meditative state and like then you kind of produce your own humming or your own sound. It just, it's, the whole Temple of Song part just felt, yeah. felt like I want to go there. Yeah. Well, like I was thinking like, and it's like a little uh, tangenty, but like in Full Other Alchemist, they talk about like, the one girl uses alka history, and it's, like, the movement of the Earth. And mm. I felt like these people were, like, tuned in to the movements of the Earth to the point where they could, like, sing it. Yeah, yeah. No, it was just, it was a really cool concept lo- of a location, and I really liked it a lot. So I wanted to make sure it was included. But um, story-wise, Tumble Song was important because Julia's nightmares are just getting increasingly worse, 
She's seeing visions of the wall, uh, where she came from, like, her dead mother. She, like, continuing, and she feels, like, real, uh, like, physical pain from it, almost. Like, um, and I can't remember if it's here. It might, it might be on the ship, actually, never mind. Uh, where she gets burned by the, the oh, flask the that her mother gave, gave her. her. I don't think it's at the Temple of Song, but she... She definitely is, like, concerned, and she's like, Eaton, we need to do something about this. And he's like, okay, we're gonna go talk to my girl, Agatha, who is my favorite character from the book. <laughs> so, we, I'm very excited to get to this part. So, the next place they go to is this city called Saberhold. Again, a really cool concept for a location. It's, it's essentially kind of like where all the knights can gather, I kind of feel like, right? Yeah. And they have, like, all it's the... It's like the Camelot of this world. Yeah, like, they, can, they have all the, the like, flags for all the, the different houses, and, like, the knights of each house in this world, like, royal house has a knight, and, you know, it kind of makes um, Julia be like, who's my knight? Like, yeah. we know who it is, right? Yeah, <laughs> but she's like, mm, I wonder sad. who... It's Zab, the real, the true knight of the story. Yeah, the, we love that lion. Lion is there for this whole thing, by the way. I don't mean he's to keep forgetting that. He's just by He's hanging out. He's concerned for his girl. Um, but yeah, they go to Saberhold, um, and they go to meet up with this witch woman or this knower, basically. Yeah, she's kind of like um, a seer. She's kind of like a seer. Her name is Agatha. And I just, I loved her. I wanted more Agatha, like, in there. She is, has many powers. One of them is apparently mind reading. She can, she can kind of yeah. sense what people are thinking, and she just, like, talks to them based off of their thoughts. She also seems to have this power where, like, I don't know what I would call it, but she, like, draws information out of people like, they feel comfortable talking to her. Like, Julia was saying, like... <laughs> it almost makes her sound like fake ghosts, like, psychics, where they know what to ask you to get you to tell you mm. more than you want to know. But th she's actually magical. She's actually magical. She's not She's not the, the those fakers. Um, and she kind of... She talks to um, Julia for a little bit, and I will also read... this. Is, I also posted this quote on Twitter, but this is one of my favorite quotes from it, um, or Agatha took my hands in hers. My dear, I know it is agonizing to feel that things are out of your control. There is a mystery here, and I shall help, try to help you solve it. But strength? Strength you must learn on your own. It blossoms within you as you become wiser. And bravery that you already have. I do not feel very brave, I admitted. No one who is ever does. Says Agatha. Very so, Gandalfy. I, like, I read it, and it felt like, you know, Frodo being like, I do not wish that I had lived to see such times and Gandalf is like, so do all who see such things come to pass or whatever. Like, yeah. it felt very, like, that kind of uh, momenty to me. Um, So I, I really like Agatha. She's a witch. And, but she she's so she's talking to Julia, but she told Eaton there's one stipulation. He had to be back by midnight to come get her. Very Cinderella-esque, right? Because <laughs> the very big fairy tale vibes of this uh, book. And you're like, huh, okay, weird. I wonder, maybe she just has, like, a bedtime. She's like, no. She, it hits midnight, and she's still there, and she goes full creep, creep. I've been saving this. <laughs> she turns from Agatha into Hagatha. <gasps> Agatha into Hagatha. You, you've been sitting on that this for whole like time? For, like, two weeks. <laughs> oh waiting God. for you to finish this book. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, she turns to Hagatha. Um and honestly, it her what she tries to do is essentially I feel like pull out the magical essence of Julia or like pull out her life essence which is innately magical cuz Julia has some kind of magic inside of her but she doesn't really know about it or she knows about it but she doesn't want to touch it cuz she's afraid of like this curse or the, these nightmares she's having. Um but Agatha can sense it in her. And it reminded me a lot of a vampire. Because Julia's kind of like, wow, maybe I should just let her, wow. like, wow, maybe I should just let her, like, eat me or something. And she just is like, as she begins to, like, dementor, suck her soul out or something, you know? Um, and then Eaton, of, of course, comes in. White Knight uh, kind of pulls her away from Agatha. 
um, and saves her. But that moment, I was just like, I, what the fuck is Agatha? I need yeah. to know. Like, is she trapped in this house? Because she doesn't follow him outside when he takes her outside of the threshold. Agatha's just like, no, give her to me. But she, like, doesn't follow him outside. Is she, like, a gremlin? Like, after midnight? She, like, like, what's going on, you know? If you ask her a question after midnight, she turns... Yeah, if you ask her a question after midnight, she she turns into a vampire or something. I don't know. I, like, I'm curious because I know, having read the interviews with Sarah, that she said she had a lot of, like, Jewish folklore that she was based on. I'm not too familiar with Jewish folklore, so I don't know if, like, this is something from that, or if this is, like, something of her own creation, but I'm curious to know more. Like, I want to know what Agatha yeah, is. Yeah. Sorry, I feel like I've been talking about Agatha for a long time, but I really just loved her, so... Um... We will move on, though. So, that happens, and basically, Julia is out for the count for two months. She is... She is unconscious. She has two months of sleep to she's, catch up on. She's, in, she's, she's not been sleeping well, so she's sleeping now. Uh, I essentially think she's in, like, a comatose state, and Eaton just takes care of her the whole time. Um, but then when she wakes up, and she's, like, obviously fatigued, and she's, like, lost weight and all this stuff, but she's like, we gotta continue our journey um and he's like okay but first we need to go to the ruins of oro which is my favorite location that's your favorite location um which is really cool so it's you don't really get much descriptions of it but we know it's like the ruins of i essentially imagined it like the ruins of like a great city or i kind of imagined it like um what were what were those games we were playing with the giant um stone monsters that you fight oh um um shadow of colossus yeah like shadow like the buildings from shadow of colossus where it's like these great ancient temples that are like essentially fallen into ruin and overgrown and that kind and of vibe the more you explore them the more you learn about them yeah exactly which again like made me think of like shadow of colossus so um so that's the kind of vibe i got and there they meet two individuals called malik and mave who are brother and sister they are they are magical blacksmiths um and essentially they they can like craft your weapon. I don't know how else to describe it. It's like the weapon of your soul. It, it's like it's soul all I could think of is in the boy and the beast if anyone's seen that where he's like you reach into your soul and you grab the sword. The sword. And they're like the what does that your, mean? The sword of your soul. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Julia and Eaton both get their own soul sword, basically, um, and it's really cool how it's described. Essentially, Malik and Maeve have some kind of access to, like, ancient power, and they kind of, like, tell the both of them to, like, imagine their weapon, and they think about it, and Maeve and Malik can just, like, make it, and they make it, and they make these weapons, and... I can't remember how long they spend there, a few weeks to a month, I think. Because she, like, not only learns... She does not only get her weapon, she learns how to use it. She learns how to and fight. And she also, with Malik, learns, like... Herbology? Herbology. <laughs> which, to be honest, like, I was like... I, I get why it's useful, but I was like, tell me more about this other place. Or, like, stuff going on there. Like, <laughs> enough plants, nerds. Yeah, they are, um... The the garden part was really cool, and again, I also shared this uh, quote on Twitter, but um, she kind of is walking through with Malik, and he's, like, showing her, like, all the different uses. He's like, here's chamomile, you can, like, use this to calm yourself, here's, like, this, here's, like, a healing herb. And then he comes to this part of the garden where all these plants are, like, behind cages, and it's, like, the deadly plant garden where it's, like, nightshade and all those, yeah. you know? And she's like, um, why the fuck do you have these <laughs> even? And, um, this, this is the quote. Uh, Malik says, they are a reminder, a reminder of what? That there is darkness in, a, in the world as immutably, as naturally as there is light. That not all that seems innocent is safe. He glanced at me. That something should not be underestimated simply because it has beauty. He shrugged. I thought it a lesson you might wish to learn. Um... And so that obviously felt like a very poignant lesson for Julia, I feel like, because she's 
she's she's very naive and yeah. so she kind of has to learn although she she is also kind of like very trusting i feel like and most of the people she comes across are are pretty decent yeah so. and i also think that says something to people because like you could be mistrustful of people and you can be mistrustful of everyone if you want to. Mm-hmm. But, like, you inherently, if you want to exist in the, the world or any world and be a part of it, you have to just choose people to trust in. Otherwise, you're going to be going around being like, mm, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know all about the time. this guy over here. Yeah, I'm pointing at Ian. <laughs> I don't know about this guy. Um, but yeah, so they, they hang on Malik and Maeve. Maeve is a expert swordswoman, so she teaches, um, Julia how to fight. Julia re- regains her strength from her two month hiatus, uh, yeah. where she was she gets out. Some muscle definition. She gets some muscle. She gets some muscles. Maybe I don't know. Um, and then they they leave. Uh, but Julia also took um these notes um from the ruins while they were in Oro, and I, I was debating should should I read it? I really like that they included that Sarah included this in the book. Oh, like the piece of meta text. Yeah, like she she deciphers essentially this like poem or like a a song, I guess. And I really liked it because again, this kind of gave me this gives me like definite fantasy vibes because I love when authors include stuff like this, like their own original songs or their own poems from the world, stuff like that to like deepen the lore, you know. Um, should I read it or should I should it be a spoiler for people? I don't know. Okay, I'll I'll save it. I, I, you know what? If you want to read, if you want to know what it is, go read the yeah, wall. Go buy because, the book because it's good and I liked it a lot. So um, I really liked that aspect of the book. Uh, okay, so they leave Oro. They begin sailing across the sea on the ship. I think this is they're they're going to to Love headed here. in the direction of Bahir. And, um, Which is where Etienne's from. Yes, it's where he's from. And they're going back, and on the ship on the way there, I think this is I think this is where the vial burns Julia. Yeah. And it's she like has kind like of incredibly vivid nightmare. She has a really vivid nightmare where she thinks she hears her mother, her dead mother, calling to her from underneath the waves, and she almost jumps overboard. Um and She's like, I think the curse is getting stronger, um, and she'd be right. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so they begin, but they make it to the desert land, and they start their travels. This is another weird part of the book. So, Eaton sets up this whole escort that's like very uh, bougie. Like they have their lion cart with fresh meat and water for um, Zav. They have their own carriage. They have like they get new clothes and everything to like help they're they're actually prepared to cross a desert. They're actually prepared. They got it. They got everything ready. They get like I think it's like five or six days in, and their caravan is attacked, but they don't know what attacked it because Julia and Eden are in the their carriage the whole time. They just hear the sounds of a fight. And Eaton is, like, shooting arrows out of the window. But then they... I, I just... Where the fuck did these people go? <laughs> they go out of their carriage, and everybody's gone. And the other carriages are gone, and it's just them. Yeah, but, I, I mean, like, <laughs> I think... I have thoughts about this, but and I they, think it's a spoiler They They hear the sounds of the raven wings, too. Mm. Julia does, yeah. before this happens. So I assume it has to do with her curse. But... It's never explained where those people go, but you can assume based well, on I what we're about to talk about. Lost beneath the sand forever. You think they fell into the sand? No, I think like magically they're dragged into like the sand and oh, gone forever. That's interesting because the next part that happens, they wander through the wood, the not the woods. They wander through the desert for a long time. Well, a long time for them to not have water or food or anything. And then eventually they come upon this deserted town. And while in the town, Julia is drawn to this one building. But when she steps into the building, she's not inside of a building. She's in this birch grove. Like birch wood. It looks like, I imagine like birch trees, but they're like papery. And you can see there's like black inside of them. And she sees this woman 
who also looks like that. Like, she's, like, kind of got birch skin with, like, the black underneath. And she's, like, chained, I think. And kept there. And she's crying. And she's... This is where you get the information on the fact that this being is somehow connected to Julia's curse. Yeah, so what I think happened is that the curse does not care where she is or when she is. She will always end up in a space that the curse can affect her. So the curse will make it happen. Like, they're in their caravan, and they're attacked by something. We don't know what that something is, but it, like, takes their guards so she's left alone so the curse can affect her. Mm. And then when she steps through that door... She's no longer in the desert. She's back in actually where they started, where the curse would have mainly been affecting her. Mm-hmm. And they walk through that area and eventually make their way out and then they end up back where they should have been. Mm. But I don't think that forest is actually in, in, in the desert, is what I thought. Well, no, that forest is definitely on a different like plane of existence, yeah. 100%. Um, but I was just thinking maybe their escort got attacked by the curse and they were wandering in those woods somewhere on the other plane. Yeah. I don't know. We don't know where they went. Well, what I assumed was, like, they were killed and then instead of, like, their bodies just being left there, the sands, like, had, like, magically cursed and shifted to, like, bury them. So there's, like, there was no trace left. Because, like, she seems to be the only one who sees the curse when it's happening most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think they end up in, like, a bubblish pocket dimension and then once the curse has like left for the time the things that it did also are hidden from like the surface level of reality yeah well because after that happens Eaton like doesn't even remember yeah that like they're he doesn't even remember what happened he was like firing arrows at something like he doesn't even know um but anyway so also, this was kind of an interesting sequence. They, they're they in this, like, deserted town, and then they go to leave after she talks to the woman for what felt like minutes for her, but was hours in the real world. And they fall through this, the ground into, like, this cavern below. And this is what I'm curious. is is are They're attacked by some people in this cavern. Who are these people? They're, like, wearing, like, purple robes and masks. So And they have poison weapons, and are these also part of the curse? Because in their bodies, like, after they move their bodies to one side of the room, they all begin to disintegrate what rapidly. I wondered, was, were their guards, like, taken and possessed and then made to attack them later? And because they've gone through this weird, like, time curse thing, they've been attacked by, like, the undead versions of their guards, and then they, when they defeat them, they... Go back to being desiccated. Maybe, yeah, that's an interesting theory because they never explain who these these people that attack them in the cavern are. They just drop down from the sands above, like I'm assuming pretty high up because they can't conceivably get up there without the next part we're going to talk about. Yeah. But I just was like, who are these people? Why are they attacking them? Like I don't understand. Um. But I was like, are they enemies of Bahir? And they, like, know Eaton is, like, the... After a while, I stopped asking why. And I was just like, the curse is bringing... The curse is bringing... Like, it's not even necessarily, like... luck it, to Like, them. it wouldn't make sense. Like, like, maybe these people, by nature, would have been friends with them. But the curse was like, nah. Not having that. No, kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they fight those people, and they're, like, trapped in this cave, and then this is where Eaton and Julia have, like, their heart-to-heart, because they're like, we might die. Yeah. So they're like, I'm, I'm in love with you. I love you. Yeah. Uh, Julia reveals her real name Which to we will Eaton, not reveal. And Eaton reveals that he's actually the Prince of Bahir, and, like, the knight, I don't remember if this is where he reveals it, but the knight to Julia's family, and... That he has to return to be here for his responsibilities, but he also just wants to, like, spend time with her traveling, basically. Um, and Julia has, like, a moment of epiphany because she sees some images that Agatha had told her to keep an eye out for. 
and she puts the um trinket the that her mother the gave vial her. that her mother gave her that like shines light which i imagine is like the like the galadriel what she gives to samwise yeah. <laughs> type thing um but she puts it in the moonlight and when the moon is like directly overhead of it this silver rope appears allowing them to climb out of the cavern that they found themselves stuck in and they're able to escape and it's like the last i imagine it is like the last bit of her mother's magic that she is using at that point um and they they climb out and they successfully also haul a lion out so this is definitely a magical rope because two people are hauling a lion out of like this hundred foot deep cavern or whatever it is you know yeah um I which they say that with they they say that in the book that they're like the the rope is like helping us do i it didn't or think that but i didn't see it as that deep i thought it was like like 20 feet oh okay like, i thought I it was, was like really deep cause... like you know if you put me in a 20 feet deep cavern i could jump pretty close to getting out, but it would be just hot enough to be frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I pictured it like that. Like, it was just deep enough to be annoying that they knew they could die there, but not deep enough where they were like, we're never gonna be able to get out of here. Mm. Um, so they get out, and then they find out that Eaton is poisoned by the weapons, so they are like, in a rush, they, they follow the trail that the rope had left, it disappears, but Julia knows the way, and they find their way to Bahir. And once they're in Bahir, Eaton, like, recovers, and then they have, like, this chat. Eaton's like, I need to stay here, I have responsibilities, and Julia's like, that's fine, I also have my own thing that I need to do. I wrote you this letter, don't look at it until I leave, but I'm gonna go do something and I have to do it alone. And he's like, okay. So she leaves, and on her way through the desert, she encounters that woman in the wood again. Yep. Um, and this is where we learn that we learn even more about the curse. <laughs> when I when I picture this woman, all I pictured was like her, but in the curse the Kali dogs out being like return the slab. Okay. Yeah. Like she's always like there and just like out on the distance you can see her. It's like how I pictured I her. also I didn't well, I mean obviously my view is swayed by however Julia saw her, but I didn't see her as an inherently, like, malignant being or, like, a nefarious being. She is uh, very sad. She's crying in the woods alone, in these woods alone. Um, but then you find out that this being actually knew Julia's mother and that they were in love. They fell in love with each other. So that this is where I think we learned Julia's mom actually must have been, like, a pretty proficient like magic user or like like you don't necessarily need magic to find your way to this lady in the wood but it seems like julia's mom could just have come and gone at will, at will whenever she chose and the, it also talks about how this woman in the wood is clearly some kind of non-human more powerful being and she shares secrets of magic with julia's mother as well um but when Julia's mother's father <laughs> finds out about her being with this this woman of the wood, he's not happy about it because she's supposed to be betrothed to somebody in Bahir. And so he goes and, like, essentially, I think he plans to kill the woman in the wood, but Julia's mom comes and stops him. And the being... Then then Julia's mom is in danger, and the the woman in the wood, like, tries to curse the father, but since Julia's mom is so, um, I don't know, a good per such a good person, yeah. she hops in front of the curse, and she gets cursed instead of her father. So, now Julia's mom has been cursed, which is, we learn, has been passed down to Julia now, that her mother is dead, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um... And the woman of the wood is like, I never intended it. This magic is was something that I did in anger, and it's so powerful that even I don't know how to stop it, basically. Yeah, it's like following bloodlines. It's following it's, it her bloodline. It was meant for one person. And Julia is actually the name of this main character's younger sister. It's not really her name. 
Um, but her younger sister is mentioned from time to time. She dies when she's only like three, really young. And so Julia takes on her younger sister's name when she doesn't want to tell people her real name. Mm. Um, but it's implied that her younger sister was killed by this curse because she left the confines of the wall, which I am now thinking uh, just now that her mom must have like warded the wall in some way and was like using her power to yeah. hold the curse at bay and that's why they didn't leave the wall but her sister left the wall when she was younger and ended up dying because of it um so like when Ju- julia's like i'm the last of this cursed bloodline basically it's interesting that well, I guess because her father is not related to the bloodline of the curse at all, so I guess he's not affected by it. Um, I didn't think about that until now either. But yeah, so her, her her father is not affected by this curse at all, but she goes back to the wall and is now abandoned because her mother has died, and she essentially, basically is like, the only way to end this curse is for me to die. Yeah. <laughs> And instead of waiting for the curse to kill her, she decides to drown herself. She does a Virginia Woolf. She, like, puts a bunch of stones in her pockets and walks into the middle of this pond in the side of the wall and and dies. Yeah. And she, she, will have, she would have fully died, but before she, before she does the deed, she calls out to Malik and Maeve for strength again. And they hear her and they magically transport Eaton to the wh- where she is. But he had just landed on this continent. So he would this have made it in time to save why her. why I am more interested in them, because I think that they're not just ghosts of people, but like some kind of like, an- like ancestral entity of this region of the world. Well, and she also compares the wall when she returns to the ruins of Oro a little bit. So I was thinking, like, you know how the lady in the wood, like, Julia asks her, are you, like, a forest spirit? And the woman's like, I guess that's, like, the best thing you could use to describe me. And I was like, are Malik and Maeve, like, spirits of civilization? I think they're they're definitely non-human entities. They're, like, residing... Well, uh, yeah... Because they're, like, residing in ruins, and if you call out to them for aid in battle or for strength, they can aid you. And, like, the wall is very similar to the ruins where they're from, so maybe they have the ability, like, the woman in the woods seems to be able to appear in any natural area, nature area, and they maybe they can do the same thing, but in, like, civilized areas? I don't know, you know? I was under the impression that they specifically could be anywhere they wanted on her home continent, region, island. Mm-hmm. But the lady, her curse specifically would let her follow Julia, Julia farther abroad. Maybe. But this is my question, is like, how how big is this area, you know? Yeah. But, so just to wrap up really quick, Malika may bring Eaton to her. Eaton gives her CPR. Brings her back, but technically, this, this is one of my, I actually really like curses like this. Technically, she died. Her heart stopped beating. She wasn't breathing anymore. She was technically dead. So the curse leaves her because she wasn't alive anymore. And you know what? I'll leave for the after part. I think you guys should read the book if you want to know what Julia, what happens with Julia and Eaton after. Um, but yeah, so the. He ends up saving her, which at first she's not happy about, but then she realizes the curse is not effective anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and now her sister and her mother can rest in peace because their spirits had been, like, attached to that curse. And so they were restless because of that, and that's why she kept seeing them. Um, so yeah, so, um, That Is the Wall by Sarah Jane Singer. Um, did you have... I think we already said our favorite favorite parts. parts. We kind of went through all of the things already as we were giving the overview. I already already talked about a few memorable quotes that I liked from the book, but if there are any that you really like, definitely let me know. Um, And what else do we have on here? Um, 
Well, I guess we could just wrap up with the recommendations. Yeah. So what do you think? What would you would you recommend this book? You know, if you if you could give a summary of it or a rating. So this is my question I had the whole time I was reading it is like, what age range is this supposed to be? I think it's YA, mm-hmm. but YA books and are more about the age of the character than the age of the reader. Some YA is very, very, very like you know adult and covers very difficult topics, and some is more like chill adventure story. And I couldn't decide where I wanted to place this. Like, is it more of an adult story or more of, like, a Chronicles of Narnia-style fantasy adventure? And I still don't know. Because there are, like, moments where, like, it's very, like, high fantasy adventure. You don't really feel like she's ever in danger. But then she will say something and you're like, okay, like, you took this from, like, the out of the moment where it's, like, a high fantasy adventure. You know she could be hurt, but she's the main character, so she probably won't be. Mm-hmm. To, like, oh. Yeah, this is, like, the worst outcome of this and, like, a real horror of life, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't quite know how to rate this. Like, I think it's... I, I would r- recommend it to, like, 8th graders and up, I think. And... Like... Like a 3 out of 5? 3.5 out of 5? Because what I want more of is, like, not necessarily everything to be explained, but I want to better understand the way this world works. Mm. Like, I I wanted a little more, uh, like, of the actual machinations of, like, why, how the kingdom is run. Because, like, you learn cool stuff, like they have knights and there's multiple banners and blah, blah, blah. And, like, you know, that's not necessarily, like, the style the author wanted to write it in, but that's just what my brain wanted more of as I was reading it. But I enjoyed reading it, and I was like, this is a cool world. Yeah. I think I think for me also, I, I agree with your points. I would probably put it more on the Chronicles of Narnia side. Um, but I, I think I, I would also myself give it a 6 out of 10. And there's one big reason for it only being a 6 out of 10, and that is length. I wanted I wanted a bit more, you know, but like you said, that's not that's not what the author intended for this. It was supposed to be a shorter, more like fairy tale esque type story, I feel like. But I'm the same way, like I'm like, give me that good lore, baby. How did Oro become ruins? Where did it you know, like I wanna know all that stuff. So that's like um that's my main reason for I I did really enjoy this book. I yeah. liked I like thought the writing was good. I thought the characters were good. I didn't feel annoyed by the characters. Yeah, which is like a big thing for um, me. And this is so. a, a first book, like mm-hmm. like so you know maybe you get more stories in this universe. Maybe like you know later uh, they'll rewrite it. Like you never know. That's just like my initial. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I do want to talk about, though, is that the non-linearness of the story. Because, like, I think that's hard to do. And I never felt jarred by it in this. Mm. Like, I I recently read the Timothy Zahn Thrawn books, where every other chapter is, like, it's the Star Wars books, but every other chapter is his past. And for the first two books of this trilogy, whenever I got the back chapters, I was like, why does this matter to me right now? Mm. And now that I've gone all the way through the books, I think it would be more interesting to read those chapters again. But I never felt like that in this. Yeah. I never was like, why are we here now? Yeah, and like I think it does help that, like you said, it's all kind of, we know what Julia knows, so we're not getting, we're getting the same amount of information as her, so we're like solving it at the same time, so it never feels like too overwhelming, mm. you know? Um, but yeah, so that is The Wall. By Sarah Jane Singer. Um, I would definitely recommend it. I mean, if you love fantasy, it's a quick read. And right now, at least, it's a standalone fantasy, which I feel like are hard to come by good standalone fantasy books. So I would definitely recommend it. Um, Let us know if you read it and what you what you thought of it, too. We're very interested to hear everybody's know. And also let Sarah know. Yeah, everybody go give Sarah some love on um, at. The real Sarah Jane? It's the new Sarah Jane. Or the Jane. new Sarah Jane, I'm sorry. Sarah um, with an H. 
Yes, on uh, Twitter, if you liked it, and let her know. And, um, yeah, yeah, that's the wall. So, next month for us, because normally it would have been my month to pick a book, but we decided collectively that we wanted to do this. We're going to be reading... I want to hear Ronnie try and say this word again. The Magical Mud Jars? Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. Magical Mud Jars. It's a nonfiction book about Hungary's national soccer team in the 50s. Um, I can say it. I just can't spell it. <laughs> that's um, <laughs> And uh, it, it's kind of hard to get your hands on. You can get it on Amazon. Like I couldn't order it through Barnes & Noble because there was none in the warehouse. It's published by a small press in Europe. Yeah, this um, would be our first nonfiction book. Yeah. So, or yeah, nonfiction. I'm oh, sorry. And it's a, <laughs> you know, it's a particular interest to me because my father was born in Hungary, and he's a big. You're a really big soccer yeah. fan. It's football. It's yeah. probably called <laughs> football the whole book. But yeah, you know, um, if you're an American, you know. But yeah, we're we're reading that. Um, so get your hands on that if you want to read along with us at uh, Twitter.com/slash Shared Pages Pod. Um, also, come talk to us about the books we're reading while we stream on Twitch at Mad Red Ian. Yeah, any of the books. If you want yeah. to come and talk to us about, you know, The Fisherman, which we read uh, like, like a couple months ago, and you just are getting into it now, come talk to us and let us know what you yeah. think. And um, don't forget to, if you're listening and you're enjoying it, give us a like, share us on social media, leave a Five review. Five stars, you know. Yeah, <laughs> leave a review on whatever <laughs> podcast network you're using. It really helps us out. Uh-huh. And we'll be back next month. Yeah, we'll see you guys next month.